Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 14 to 19 today, and next week Eric will preach uh, verses 20 and 21 for us. As, uh, as we're turning to Ephesians chapter 3, I want to ask you, when you pray for others, what do you typically pray for? When you're praying for other folks, what do you, what do you typically pray for? And let me ask you this, as you're thinking about that. When you ask people to pray for you, what do you typically ask folks to pray for you? All kinds of things, I'm sure, right? My dear friend Roger is a deacon at a little rural country church here in East Tennessee. And he and I had lunch recently. And he was telling me that in this small church, uh, because of the pandemic, they had canceled their Wednesday night prayer meeting. And uh, that they're starting to, they're planning to start it back here in the next couple of weeks. And he said to me, he said, you know, I've been talking with one of the elders who's going to lead this prayer time on Wednesday nights, and we've been talking about how we want it to be a little different. He said, you see, in years past, the Wednesday night prayer meeting has kind of uh, devolved into all we pray about are sicknesses, surgeries, jobs, and travel mercies. And he said, now, now we're going to keep praying for those things. Those aren't bad things to pray for, but... But he said, you know, I got to wondering, what does the Bible tell us we should pray for? He said, of course, Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, he, he said, pray for your daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. So there's nothing wrong with praying for the daily physical needs of God's people. But the rest of the prayer is praying that God's name would be glorified, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that uh, God would not lead us into temptation, that he would protect us from the evil one. These are, these are different kinds of prayers. They're bigger. Uh, they're, they're more uh, spiritual in a sense. And he said, well, then I started, I decided I'm going to do my own Bible study. I want to know what Paul's prayers were all about. So he went through all the letters of Paul and asked himself, what is Paul praying about? And that's what we're doing this morning. We're going to look at one of the most uh, famous of those prayers of Paul uh, in Ephesians chapter 3. And in the book of Ephesians, there's two major prayers he prays. We've already seen the one in chapter 1 where Paul prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. So, Paul is praying for what he believes is important, that the Father would give the Spirit to his people so that we would know Jesus. Well, that's his prayer in chapter 1. This morning, in chapter 3, there's going to be a little slight twist on the same request. And I want us to wonder together, what does, Paul, what, does what Paul prayed for these people reveal about what Paul thinks is most important for these people. So let's find that out together as we stand and hear the word of the God who loves us. In chapter 3 of Ephesians, verses 14 to 19. 
What does what Paul prayed for them reveal about what he thinks is most important for them? This is the word of the Lord. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Now, we need to pay close attention to what Paul prays for in this prayer. Why? Because I think Paul wants us to know, he's given us a little hint here, that this is something he prays passionately about. This, what he's praying for in these verses is something that he's intensely passionate about. How do I know that? Well, he says, I bow my knees before the Father. And you may not know that the normal, typical way that the Jews prayed was standing up. So Paul is saying, he's letting them know. Why would he tell them, I bow my knees before the Father? Because he wants them to know, this is serious. <laughs> Not that the rest of the prayers weren't, but I'm, I'm so passionate about this. I'm bowing my knees before the Father. I'm getting on my face, and I'm appealing to God's fatherly heart for his dear children to do this for them. To do what? What is it? What does God want what does Paul want God to do for the church? What does Paul think is most important to pray for the Christians in Ephesus? Well, look at verse 16. Paul gets on his knees and pleads with the Father that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul is begging their Father to strengthen them with the power through his spirit in their inner being, that is their inside man. That's literally what it says, their, their inside person. So I have three questions for us this morning. What's the big deal about our inner being? That's question number one. What's the big deal about our inner being? Question number two is, what does Paul want God to do in your inner being? And question number three is there something we can do to participate in what God wants to do in our inner being? All right, you with me? Those three questions. First question, what's the big deal about our inner being, our inside man, our inside person? Well, Tim Keller answers this question um, in this way. He says, what Paul is proving by his prayer is the absolute priority of the inner life over the outward life. If in your inner life, he says, there's a strength, a peace, a power, then it doesn't matter what's happening in the outward circumstances of your life. If your inner life is strong and your outer life is crumbling, you can still move out into your outward life in strength. On the other, on the other hand, he says, 
if your outward life looks fine and your inner life is in tatters, it doesn't matter about your outward life. You move out into the world in weakness. Keller says that Paul is pointing to the absolute priority of the power of the inner life, the power of the life in which you're able to go in and know God, talk to him, and have what the old writers used to call communion with God. Now, Paul is not a dualist. He he does not believe what some of the Greek philosophers of his day believed, and that was this, that the physical material is evil, and that only everything spiritual and mental is good. That's not what Paul is saying. Because if you ask Paul, he would not say that our outer being or our bodies or the physical world, he would not say they're not important. Paul would say, God himself came in human flesh and he bled actual blood on a real tree. He rose bodily from the tomb and he's seated in the heavenly places right now in a resurrected body. Jesus chose to wear a human body forever for us. So he has, he holds that with a lot of value. And he did all this so that he could make all things new, Jesus said. All spiritual things and all physical things new. So Paul is not saying that the physical is bad and only the spiritual is good. But Paul prays like the inner being takes priority over the outer. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, so bodily training has value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And then Paul told the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 4, he said, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So this is why Paul is praying for the, for the inner self of these people. Because he knows that even though the outer self might waste away, their inner self can still be renewed day by day. That's why he prioritizes in his prayers their inner being. Doctors and physical therapists and fitness trainers will all tell you, strengthen your core. Strengthen your core. And Jimmy needs to listen to those people. Um, But they tell you that because your core muscles act as a strong central link in a chain that connects your upper and your lower body. I read this on the internet. Whether you're hitting a tennis ball or mopping the floor, the necessary motions either originate in your core or move through it. So those core muscles... They determine everything in the way we move. So Paul is praying for spiritual strength in your core, in your inner being, what the Bible also calls your heart. It's the core of who you are. It's the central link that controls and connects all of your thinking and feeling and relating and doing. That's your inner being. And he prays for a strong inner core because he knows that every part of who you are Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, relationally, vocationally, 
Every part of who you are flows from your heart, from your inner being. That's why it's such a big deal to Paul. And so he prays, Father, strengthen them with the power and presence of your spirit in their inner being. So I want to ask this morning, how important is your inner life to you? How important is your inner life? Is your inner core weak or is it alive? Is it thriving? Is it vibrant? Is it growing? Paul prays this way because he knows that in order for the church to be who God has called us to be in the places he puts us, each Christian, each of us, must have strength in our inner beings. So I ask you, how attentive are you to your inner being? For some of us, this message is going to encourage us because we pay a lot of attention to our inner being. For some of us, it's going to be not a, not a slam or a slap on the wrist, but an exhortation. Hey, hey. Be attentive to your inner being. It's important. And so at this point, we should be asking, well, then what should be going on in my inner being? If it's such a big deal, then what what should be going on in there? And Paul answers that by what he prays. And he answers the question, what does Paul want God to do in our inner being? There's there's three things that that Paul wants to see happen in our inner being. In verses 17 through 19, he wants us to experience the presence of Jesus. He wants us to experience the love of Jesus, and he wants us to experience the fullness of Jesus. And and why do I say experience the presence and love and fullness of Jesus here? Well, it's because Paul has already said in this letter, and he's taught in all of his other letters, that Believers in Jesus already have Jesus' presence dwelling in them. They already have his love, and they already have his fullness. In Colossians 2, he's going to say, you have been filled in him. So Paul is praying something different here. He's praying that we would experience in our inner beings what we already have in Christ. That we would experience the presence of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and the fullness of Jesus in our daily lives. So let's look at those three. In verse 17, he prays that we would experience the presence of Jesus. He says that he wants God to strengthen us in our inner beings so that Christ may dwell, reside in our hearts through faith. You know, this, this is what Jesus promised would happen the night before his crucifixion. Jesus said to his disciples, read John 14 through 17. He said, I'm going away, but I'm not leaving you alone. I will come to you. I will be with you and dwell in you by my Holy Spirit. And a Christian is one who has Jesus living at the very center and core of who they are. He comes in and he takes up residence in you. He knows and resides in every room and chamber of your heart. 
you invite him in and you say, here you go, Jesus, renovate and decorate however you want. And Jesus says, I want to come in and I want to have friendship with you. I want to feed your soul. I want to do life with you. I want to live my life through you. Oh, friends, I want to experience that. I want to experience Jesus residing in every nook and cranny of my inner being. I want that, don't you? Don't you want God to grant you the strength of that kind of close daily relationship with Jesus? That's what Paul prays for you because that's what God wants for you. Well, what else does he want to happen in your inner being? He, he prays that we would experience the love of Jesus. So having Jesus uh, residing inside my life and opening every closet and looking everywhere and pulling back curtains and looking at well, that could be a little frightening if you think, oh, Jesus lives inside me. There's nowhere to hide. But the good news is the Jesus who lives inside you loves you. He loves you. And Paul prays that you would experience the love of Jesus. He says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He prays that we be rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus for us. Now, those two words are really cool. Uh, rooted is an agricultural word, and grounded is an architectural word. Now, I'm going to start with grounded first. That word grounded means to be established on a firm foundation. God wants you to be able to stand firm on the love of Jesus for you. This is what Paul's praying. So that when the waves of guilt and accusation and suffering pound on your heart, the love of Jesus for sinners and sufferers like you will help you stand firm in the storm. So I wonder, I asked some of my friends this week this question, what, what are the things that block you, that, that are obstacles for you to experience the love of God in your life? Think about that for just a second. What keeps you from experiencing? Now, you know in your head, God loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know. But you don't always experience it. What, what keeps you from experiencing that? What gets in the way? And some folks may say, well, I get in the way. My sin gets in the way. I, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not worthy of his love. That can, block, that can block your experience of his love. But on the other side, my successes, my obedience to God, my, my good works can get in the way of my experience of his love because I, I can very easily slide into... Well, of course he loves me. Of 
some of us are just plain narcissists. I mean, somebody once said, never tell a narcissist God loves him. He already knows. Well, but he doesn't really know, does he? My failures, my failure, my failure to be the pastor, the father, the friend, the husband, the the mom, the wife, the sister, the daughter, all the ways I fail, and then, and, and, and I've tried, and then I get upset with God, and why did you let me fail? I was trying. If you loved me, you wouldn't let me be such a humiliating failure all the time. And let people down. Some of my friends said that suffering, that's a big one. The things that I suffer, and I think, God, is this really what love looks like? And especially when when you feel like, Lord, I've been, you know, I haven't, it's not like I've done anything really bad. I mean, I'm trying. I'm, I'm living my life for you, Jesus. Why would you let this happen in my life? Don't you love me? And then a friend of mine said, and all these are true of me, unanswered prayers. Prayers I've prayed and prayed and prayed. Good prayers for, for someone to come to know Jesus. And I never, ever see that happen in their life. And I wonder, well, does he love me? I don't know what it is. I don't know what those waves of doubt that threaten to knock you off your balance. But Paul is praying that you would be grounded and established in the love of Christ for you. I need people to pray that for me. I'm so glad that he thinks that's important. Later in Ephesians 6, Paul is going to tell us to stand firm in the face of onslaught from spiritual attack from the forces of darkness. He knows that these people are going to be threatened on all fronts. And he prays that they would be established on the foundation, that they would be able to stand firm on the love of Jesus for them. And then he prays that they would be rooted. Rooted, that's an agricultural term. Um, it, It reminds me of Psalm 1 where the psalmist said that those who meditate on the law, on the law of the Lord, are like a tree planted by streams of water, and they bear fruit. The love of Jesus for us helps us to bear fruit in the desert. You know, we're called to love God and love others in the places God puts us. And, God's, and Paul's going to go on in this letter to exhort us to bear the fruit of love in our relationships with one another, 
in our families, in our workplaces, all these places where these days it seems to be getting more and more difficult to bear the fruit of love and patience and kindness. Where are we going to find the inner strength to love the people that God puts in our path every day? Where are we going to find the strength to do that? We need to be rooted in his love for us. John said, we love because he first loved us. When we're rooted in the love of Jesus for us, then we will bear the fruit of love, of the love that Jesus has for sinners and sufferers and even for enemies. And this is how Paul lived. He said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. He dwells in me. And Paul said, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is giving us kind of his bedrock motto for life, what he absolutely sums his life up in this. Everything I do in this body, he says, I do in absolute dependence on the love that Jesus had for me when he gave himself for me. And so Paul goes on to pray that we would know from experience that the foundation of Christ's love on which we are grounded is measureless and the fountain of his love by which we sink our roots is bottomless. He says, he prays that we may have strength to comprehend, that word comprehend means to grasp, to get hold of, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. (laughs) So don't worry. If you ever feel like the foundation's not going to be firm enough, it goes on and on and on and on. It's measureless. Don't worry if you ever feel like uh, the well of Christ's love for you is going to run dry. It's bottomless. Paul says that we will comprehend and grasp that love. He prays that we will comprehend and grasp that love that will get the strength to get a hold of it. And I need him to pray for that. Pray that for me. And then the third thing he prays that would happen inside our inner beings is that we would experience the fullness of Jesus. Verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I thought about this, and I'm going to tell you, this may shock you, Paul is praying that Jesus would be like a gyro sandwich. I'm not kidding. Okay, gyro sandwiches, you know, those wonderful things with pita bread and the sliced lamb that's sliced off of the rotisserie lamb, and they put all those yummy things in there, and they put that tzatziki sauce inside there, right? It's good. So back in the day, I used to eat those fairly regularly and uh, when I was in seminary because I thought if I eat Greek food, it'll help me with Greek class. That was my excuse anyway. Well, my lovely wife hated it when I ate those sandwiches because this tzatziki sauce does something 
chemically inside me. It, it makes me stink. And I'm not just talking about going to the potty. I'm talking about it oozes out of my pores. And so, it, but I can't smell this. I can't tell uh, on the breath or coming out of And so for days after I would eat a gyro sandwich, she'd be like, no, stay away from me. See, Paul is praying that God would permeate every part of your life. And when God fills you to overflowing, um, you may not know it, but everybody else will. He's praying that you would be filled with the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus, that it the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus would come oozing out of your pores at love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control would just pour out of you. I need somebody to pray that for me. More than anything else, all of these things, that I would know and experience the presence and love, and the fullness of Jesus. And so my final question was, okay, Paul's praying all this for us, but is there anything we can do to participate in what God wants to do in our inner being? And I think Paul gives us a few hints here in this passage that there are some things we can do to participate. God's Spirit is still doing the work. God's Spirit does it but we can participate in it. And there's three ways I think Paul hints at our participation. First of all, the obvious one is pray. That's what Paul's doing. So if Paul thinks it's a good idea to pray for the Spirit to strengthen your inner being, to experience the presence and the love and the fullness of Jesus, then you and I should probably pray that for ourselves as well. You ever ask God to do this kind of stuff in you? This is part of how you start to become attentive to your inner person, to your inner being. As you ask God, God, would you please, by your spirit, strengthen my core, strengthen my heart. God, would you please, Jesus, I want you to dwell in my heart. I want to know your presence. I don't want to just know that, yeah, you live in me. I want to experience it and feel it and I want it to become part of my everyday life would you do that in me and would you remind me every day of how much you love me I don't think I can survive if you don't God would you would you fill me with all of your full and fullness until the fruit of the spirit just oozes out of my life until I begin to live and love like Jesus you ever pray that, so, that kind of stuff for yourself? It's okay to. <laughs> Talk to the one who would love to do it and has the power to do it, and he will. The second thing we could do to participate is faith. Paul says that we experience Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith, by trust, by dependence, by reliance upon him. You know, Romans 10, 17 says, Paul said, faith, so here, here's the question. So how do I 
I thought faith was a gift from the Holy Spirit. It is, but there's a, a way that the Spirit likes to give it. And here's what Paul says in Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, by the word of Christ, he says. So the Holy Spirit likes to give his people faith as they listen to the words about Jesus, as they listen to the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done. Yeah, the preacher is telling you you need to read the Bible. Shocking, I know. But it, it's just the facts, folks. <laughs> this is the story of who Jesus is and what he's done and how much he loves us. You know, I went on a, a retreat one time <coughs> with the staff of a church I was serving, and they had hired this retreat leader to come in, and, and he was going to teach us uh, so, some, how to do some of the spiritual disciplines. And all those spiritual disciplines are, are things related to the Word of God, into prayer. Uh, so he was going to teach us about different ways to read God's word in a way that would feed our soul. He's going to teach us different ways of praying, um, including uh, uh, fasting and silence and solitude, all these things. It was really cool, but I went to the retreat kind of going, oh man, you're just going to add to the list of things that I'm not already doing. And I'm just going to carry around all this stuff that I should be doing. That I should be doing. Things I should be doing in the word of God. Things I should be doing in praying to God. Okay, well, I'm getting paid to do this, so. But he said the most amazing thing that has completely transformed my understanding of what it means to be in the word of God and pray and do all these things and come to worship and come to the table he said this, and he was talking about prayer, but it applies to all of them. He said, you know, I don't pray to get God to love me. I pray so that I can hear him say it. That was revolutionary for me. Apply that to reading God's word. I don't read the Bible to get God to love me, like, which is typically how we do, we're like, well, I'm going to read this because that's what good Christians do and God will be happy with me and then maybe he'll answer some of those prayers that he hasn't answered. I know that's kind of crass, but isn't kind of, you know, I'm going to do this because God said to and, you know, to get him off my back. No, no. I read this story. I soak in this story. I try to understand all that it says about Jesus and me and you and the world so I can hear him say how much he loves me. And when you approach God's word with that kind of perspective that I'm coming, Lord, or, or you come to worship and listen to a sermon or you come to the table or you, you sing the songs or, or whatever these Christian activities that we do, we do them all not to get God to love us or to impress other people that we do them. We, we do them because we're desperate to hear him say how much he loves us. Because Paul says that's what we need. That's what our foundation is. That's what we need to root ourselves in. That's what faith looks like. 
It's I'm coming in absolute hunger and thirst and dependence and saying, God, you've got to tell me that you love me and I'm not, I'm not going to make it. Please. He prays that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith, by absolutely raw dependence. And his word, God uses to fan the flame of that faith because he shows you Jesus and he says, look at how much he loves you. It's here, it's in God's word that you learn the breadth of his love for you. And the length and the height and the depth. I love to think, think of Jesus on the cross. The breadth, the height, the depth, the length that it took for him to get there for you. It's in God's word that you learn about the breadth of his love, Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our sins from us. It's in the word of God that you learn about the length to which Jesus came in Philippians 2, that though he was in the form of God, he didn't count that as something to be grasped, but he took the form of a servant and he was born in the likeness of men in flesh, He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's the lengths Jesus went to love you. It's in the word of God that you learn about the height of his love for you. Psalm 103 again, verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And also this, Jesus is seated at the right hand of his father, as high as you can get. And what is he doing up there? He's interceding for you. He's pleading to his father on your behalf. He's praying for you because he loves you. That's the height of his love. And the depth, the Bible teaches us that Jesus loves us so much that he went down into the depths of death, hell, and the grave. In our place, our death, our hell, our grave, But he rose again and he kicked open the gates of hell from the inside out and he rose in his body so that you and I would never know those depths of death and hell and the grave. That's how deep his love is for you. But you won't know it unless you get in this book. You won't know it unless you come to worship. You won't know it unless you pursue Jesus in these ways. So faith, trust that God will show you the love of Jesus when you seek the love of Jesus in all of its dimension. You can read the Bible your entire life and never come to the end of how wide and long and deep and high his love is for you. And then the third way we can participate And what God wants to do in our inner beings is, Paul said, with all the saints. He said that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. He's given us each other to help us know the dimensions of God's love for us. So we pray together. We seek Jesus together. I can't do this on my own. 
my inner being is not going to be strengthened by the Spirit of God without the people of God. That's, he uses his word and he uses his people. And you've got to put yourself with his people. So I'm ask, I'm, I ask you, if you care about your inner being and you want to know the love of Jesus for you, you've got to make time to be with his people. I mean, I love that our teenagers get together on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights because together they are with all these other teenage saints around them. They're looking at Jesus with Robert and Jennifer. Together, together. Find ways to get together to strengthen your inner being in the love of Christ. Brennan Manning told the story of of Father Ed Farrell, a priest from Detroit who went to visit his uncle in Ireland. And so Ed and his uncle, Uncle Seamus, were walking along Lake Killarney, and uh, they stopped to watch the sunrise. And Ed said that they just stood there in silence for 20 minutes watching the sunrise. And then he turned and he looked and he saw this broad smile had broken out on the face of his 80-year-old uncle. And he said to him, he said, "Um, Uncle Seamus, you look very happy. Uncle Seamus said, I am. And Ed said, how come? Uncle Seamus said, ah, the father of Jesus is very fond of me. The father of Jesus is very fond of me. Oh, to live in the fondness of my father. If I could just live in the fondness of my Father as he's shown it to me in Jesus, poured it out to me by his Holy Spirit. If I could just live in the fondness of my Father, I would stand firm and I would bear fruit. Do you want your inner being to have that kind of spiritual strength? Do you long to experience the presence of Jesus in your inner being more and more? Do you long to experience the love of Jesus in your inner being more and more? Do you long to experience the fullness of Jesus oozing out of your inner being into your everyday life more and more? If you do, pray for it. Seek Jesus for it, trusting in faith that he wants this for you more than you do. And if you do, And let's pray for it and seek Jesus for it together with all the saints at Mountain Fellowship. That's what we're here for. Father, would you you do that? Oh, God, would you do that? Would you strengthen our inner being, our inner core, both individually and as a church body? by the power of your spirit so that the priority of who we are as as people who follow you and as a church 
that the priority would be to know your presence, to know your love, and to be filled with all the fullness of Jesus until he oozes out of us and everybody says, what's that? (laughs) And help us even now as we come to this table to see how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is for us in his body and his blood. For Christ's sake we pray, amen.